Welcome to Overtime on Inferno, your weekly roundup of all the biggest stories in CSGO. Quicker than Dupree hits his seventh life in his career. Uh, quick reminder, rate and review us by the end of the episode. It really helps us. I'm Logan. This is AZ Ask. We're not actually going to talk about Rio today. Um, I know that may surprise some of you, um, but that's okay. Today is actually an interesting day. It's technically our 101st episode of this podcast, which we've been doing for like two and a half years now. Um, but wow. we're counting it as the 100th because there was an emergency Counter-Strike 2 episode. So I'm pretending that doesn't exist. Um, so this is our 100th scheduled episode. And it happened to coincide with one of the biggest names in Counter-Strike uh, saying that whoever wants to interview him can. So... Almost literally one of the biggest names in Counter-Strike. Yeah, almost literally one of the biggest names. a lot of letters in that surname. <laughs> and he's tall, too. So he's like, very tall, yeah. yeah. Um, so, without much further ado, Launders. Welcome, Launders, to Overtime on Inferno. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah. I feel like I should have been on here a long time ago. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're always welcome back. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. I mean, Anytime. I think we had a discussion about it and then we threw it out because something else happened and then we never went further than Elliot and I saying we should have launders on and that was the end of the discussion. Um but we did it now. Um so we have a we have a set a large set of questions uh that we're going to start but for anyone who's ever listened to this podcast before uh we're probably not going to get through more than two of them. Um <laughs> So it's we'll the way. The yeah, tangential so, podcast. So, um, we wanted to start with your career because you've had a little bit of an interesting career in terms of Counter-Strike, right? Where you started as wanting to be a player, then you did some journalism for a bit, and then you were coaching for a bit, I think, and then now you're casting and kind of all over the place throughout every single bit in Counter-Strike up until the point of now you're like casting majors and stuff. Yeah. So like uh, how yeah so like what what was the point in which you this is a very hit question right what was the point in which you realized you were too shitty to be a pro and, <laughs> and you had nah. to go into the production side in order to like <laughs> be relevant yeah well, I looked on my back on my seventy eighty R in Maine and I was like all right this is gonna be a grind <laughs> uh, you know I think I saw myself as like somebody I like I had a really good one everyone had that one good season I had one good season where. I was IGLing for the first time. We were probably the second best team in Maine, and then we got a good seed of playoffs, and we lost the team who won Maine, and I remember we were one map off of making Premier, and uh, I was like, man, if we did this again, we probably could do it. But, you know, ESEA is like three months of a grind for one, you know, uh, single elimination playoffs into if you fuck it up or you get a really awkward seed, you got to go three months again and grind to another season. And I had already begun casting at that point. And so I just had to make the executive decision of like, do I want to attempt to go pro? And do I want to try to do commentary and have like a longer career as a content creator in CSGO? And I, when I first started my YouTube channel, I already had made the decision that I was like, I was like 22. And I was like, I played StarCraft when I was 13, right? Uh-huh. And I was, I played StarCraft when I was 13. And I remember my first time playing against a Korean and I was like, I'm never going to be pro. I'm never going to be good enough <laughs> to like win money in this game. And said that, and and with that understanding of you know historical context in esports, being 22 coming into CS:GO, 
and watching esports since I was younger and then just taking a break and coming back. I was like, there's no no point in me trying to grind. Like I didn't, you know, there was no Roy of the world to show me. He was there's no Roger Bannister for me in esports, okay? So later on you'd see that there were some good stories of older players who have made a career of themselves, but I couldn't really see that for myself. So I think I I think I was just surprised at how much I enjoyed competing. And then when I had like a taste of success, I was really thought about uh continuing to go on. But I think I would have ended up somewhere at like a, you know, lower tier North American invite after a few seasons type of career which you know that's like the f- fourth layer of dante's inferno or whatever it's like, like stuck you know in what? na na tier three which is basically the world tier seven kind of vibes yeah yeah or oh, it's valorant tier one so even like, I, you know what exactly. that's a good point <laughs> actually yeah. actually that's a, that's a good question if you were doing the same thing like if you were in the same point like three years ago right when you were when you had to hit that like that wall in maine would you have swapped games? Would you have like thought about that? Was that a, would that have been something on your mind? Because we know a lot of people did. Yeah, yeah. I think I am the kind of person that if they, that if you know Valorant came out, I would have tried it. But I would be like, this is the, the Counter Strike's the game I understand. Like I'm very like kind of loyal to the game that I play a lot of. Yeah. I think I would have regretted it a year in seeing like the salaries that were thrown over to some of the players that went over, and then thinking about like. The players I in this theoretical world that I was probably as good as that ended up getting paid three times as much as me, there would have probably been some envy there. But I, I think I'm the time type of person who would have just stuck it out and just continue to do the thing that I invest a lot of time into. If I like something and I I stay with it. Like I always thought of myself as like, if I had found out about melee before Counter Strike, I would have been a melee commentator. And okay. You know, and that's a struggle, right? Because you got Nintendo <laughs> above you. So <laughs> even though the game is great, it, it would suck for other reasons. Yeah. So you kind of hit your big break, I'd say just before COVID and then like into COVID of like when you were doing like big tournaments and stuff. So how did everyone being sent home and you have to do everything online and stuff, how did that help or in how or, or how did that hurt everything that you had like worked up to until that point? It's kind of uh, sort of weird because I think the only thing that changed so from the perspective of other people looking at me, I don't know what it what it looks like. From my perspective, all I saw was that what's going on into wow, Dreamhack is now thirty days instead of seven and now I'm doing it from home, you know, with half a suit on. And like I, I didn't all I saw was that literally, you know, we got the same day rights, but now our, our events are like three times longer and back to back. So I was working like I was making more money somehow, but I was also just kind of working for like a less important event in my life. You know what I mean? Because it was all online into working way, way more days than I ever thought I would. And for much longer stretches. And even when we did travel, there were these two week, st- you have to stay in a place for two weeks and then quarantines and stuff like that. So events never wanted to send us home. So we would take extended breaks in between events inside of Europe in quarantines or in hotels. So very, very strange. Can't really complain because we actually did end up making a lot of money and still working on a lot of events. Uh, but I can't, it doesn't feel like my career kind of went anywhere from there. I think we grinded out and learned different ways of becoming better commentators, like because of the actual endurance aspect of, of COVID. And it, it made it so that we had to like get through a lot more games where we had to pretend there was a crowd in our room or like, you know, what's the difference between a playoff and a group stage or like, I remember this quote from Flush. It was like, sometimes I log in and I don't know what tournament I'm playing in. That was how I felt when <laughs> I, that's how I felt when I was commentating sometimes. I, you know, 
because it's it was just all the same. Yes, every yeah. venue is the same. Yeah. You're you're always speaking to the same camera into the same microphone, same kind of thing, and just all blends together at one point. That yeah. really does some flusher up as well, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> it's just like yeah, I just I like I just if it's not a major final, I'm not interested. Like, it just yeah. really sums him up as a player. Yeah. Uh, we wanted to ask as well about speaking of the change and how uh, you've seen like esports journalism change over the time. Obviously, you had a spell where that was something you were doing, and then before you full time committed to content creation, as it were. Um, obviously, it's been a bit of a, a talking point in the last six months with you know, Richard Lewis is always banging on about this and uh, sort of your perspective on how things have changed. I know things have changed for journalists. I. I don't know. I think that like it does. It does feel like we don't have um, as much of the same level of journalism or like sort of ambition in terms of journalism as we used to with some of the stories that have have gotten broken. Maybe we have slightly less drama overall as things have sort of smoothed out. Even though we still have tons of crazy shit going on all the time, um, uh, it's not something I think about too much. And and honestly, I never really looked at myself as a journalist. Like. Even though I was working at Yahoo Esports, I just thought of myself as purely an interviewer. And then when I worked, but that was when I was at events. And then when I worked at the company, I just looked at myself as a YouTuber because like that was my job was like upload like a couple times a week and come up with cool things to upload. Um, I consume, like I read all of Richard's Substack, Substack articles. I, I read a lot of journalistic pieces um, on many different pla- in many different places, uh, but that's pretty much the beginning and end of, you know, how I think about journalism. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so what about you? Um, I think when you lose or, or when somebody like Richard Lewis almost he, he, he's retired, quote unquote, I think losing somebody like that is a real loss because he is somebody with not only the, the nous on how to write stuff like that, but the balls to actually like, um, investigate and release stuff like that. Uh, I think losing him from a mainstream source is an issue, but then the fact that he's moved to Substack and is able to just publish whatever he wants, I think is probably a positive thing. Um, but I do think esports journalism as a whole <clears throat> loses too much money to ever be successful in what people want esports journalism to do. And the only way to make money is to do SEO and all the articles that nobody enjoys. Rest in peace, Jackson. Rest in peace, Jackson. Yeah, yeah rest in peace, Jackson. Yeah, I understand that. It's hard, especially with just like written form content. It's a shame for people who are excellent writers and also, you know, like that's their that's their skill set to be so hamstrung by the fact that like video content and things just make more money. Video, yeah. live content, yeah. fast content, like that's just the, the way things go. But I like that. Richard goes to Substack because, like, you know, if if he trends trends up, he gains keeps a lot of momentum and can actually make like a ton of money, honestly, and and really just do things exactly the way he wants. And he's clearly yeah. shown a lot of motivation with how much he's released. Um, the down the downside of that is I don't think everyone can have a brand like Richard can, no. and yet can still have good journalistic pieces to like want uh, for for us to want to see, but we might not ever see them because we don't they have the personality behind it, the brand power. That sort of thing. So that's a shame. But then I think you can maybe have a, a situation where like Richard could be the company that has the umbrella of journalists under him, you know? And I think yep. that that's the, 
that's what I see in the future of esports. He talked about this with Ludwig and uh, a few of these other content creators starting organizations. Like that's actually the path to sustainability for a lot of things. Is like proving you can do everything bootstrapping it yourself, and you know the main form of payment is your own time as opposed to VC money, and then using that money to reinvest, and then just everything growing from there. Yeah, yeah we talked about this a lot, like a couple weeks ago when CLG folded or they got sold to NRG or whatever it was. And like TSM was talking about selling their LCS slot and stuff and how like esports winter is like really happening in NA now. Right. And it was, and the, the whole conversation ended with like every successful org has like a secondary revenue stream, whether it's content creation, whether it's like production company, whether it's like an app that they have or something. And that the content creation one seems to continue to just have money and that's where power will end up coming from is people like Ludwig and Critical will have just have their own stuff and start making their own because right. they want to, not because a VC says they have to or anything like that, just because they want to. Yeah, and they can, uh, you know, if players go and play for like this guy's toast team or something like that, like they're more happy to take a pay cut because you're going to be so famous. Like you're, <laughs> you know, you, you're, you're working with like one of the biggest, most relevant content creators of our time and like whatever you do in the future, you're going to have so many eyes on you. So like, I think people are worth, the thing is that like, you know, if everybody who was at the pro level, who was in tier one, took a 50% pay cut, they continue to play CS happily. I think it would be, it's not a fun conversation to think about. Um, but that's just where a lot of money goes when it comes to running teams and things like that. Um, and I think that, you know, yeah, one of the best things that we can learn from some of these content creator organizations who are openly running at a loss, but still happy to do it is that like, they can say, Hey, listen, like we're going to be transparent right now. We got no one to impress. We can't, we're not making money, so we can't pay you that much. But if you play with us, like, you know, run, you're going to have like 10,000 followers on our announcement tweet and like 50,000 followers by the end of the month. And then you're going to be so popular that like you can get any opportunity you want in the future. It's kind of like, that's a huge upside. It's kind of like the pay for exposure thing that people will say that's like a terrible thing. Yeah. But in this case, it's actually kind of okay because it's a stepping stone and you still do get paid. Part yeah. of the reason pay for exposure is terrible is because the exposure isn't all that. Yeah, and yeah. like that, the exposure <laughs> is important and it is yeah. big. Um, on the sort of finance side, I, I don't know if you've been reading about the uh, like the, the amount it costs to put on events. There's been a discussion about going pay-per-view on events uh, in the last few days on Twitter. I don't know if you've caught with that. Well, yeah, like, yeah. I, I think... It's sort of, I don't know if it's well known or or if it's even true. Events usually run at a loss because I've heard conflicting things. Um, but what would be your thoughts on like on that on running events and whether pay per view would actually work in esports? I'm I'm pretty hardline in my thoughts about this, but I'd love to like hear your guys' opinion too. Uh-huh. But I I just simply don't think it'll work, and I think that's because like. From my perspective right now, sponsor dollars are counting for like 80% of the revenue of like tournament organizers and organizations in general. And in the, you know, in the seven figure range, I think to uh, make that from subscribers for a pay-per-view, you would have to have hundreds of thousands of people paying probably a small fee, you know, not, you won't have a a few people paying a lot of money like you have in the UFC because that's not going to happen. No shot. But if you it. have, but even if you have, uh, like one, let's, you know, at a major, you know, I could see something working for like certain select events. You could definitely, people would pay for it no matter what to, to watch. 
for the vast, vast majority of the calendar, I don't think that's true. And then you always risk the harm of not enough people seeing it, then not enough people pair with Counter-Strike, then not enough people tuning into the next event. Um, but then also, if you with a pay-per-view model, if you had it for an event, you would probably lose sponsors because you would definitely have less people watching. And then to supplant the money you'd get from sponsor dollars, I think that's would be really hard to do with Did just it, subscriptions in the five to ten dollar range. To me, the only way a value uh, subscription value works for an event is if the event itself is free for everyone to watch, and you're giving an additional thing with that. So. Is, uh, hey. I think it was Snipe used to d did this like for a year or two where like you could choose who you did and then they did it for a league as well where they did pro view where you could choose the laner you're watching and stuff. That's like the only kind of time in which I see that this is a viable thing is like, hey, you can go watch the major for free. But if you're a simple fanboy and you want to watch simple and only simple for the entire live match, you can go do that. <laughs> and you pay yeah. us like 10 bucks an event or something like that. It's not a ridiculous fee or something like that, but it lets you kind of choose your own adventure for the event, but you still get your everyone looks. The problem with that is since Snipe exists and did its thing for like a year and no one and used more. it, and yep. then now it doesn't really exist. So yeah, I think that's, you have to come at it from a position of power. Like I think right now, let's say a product that's a good example. And I'm, I'm the creative director of Blast TV, so I'm a little bit biased here, but like they, I can see them, how they're trying to think about their model is like, they're creating a platform that's it's free to use. It's just an alternative to YouTube or Twitch. There's no ads. You can watch it there. And they have some features like you can click on a part of the stream and see when there was a 4K or an Ace or something like that in the VOD, which is a nice touch for Counter-Strike viewers. And uh, and then we made the, the Launder Show, which is supposed to be just content that lives there exclusively for a while. And all this is just get people to use the website. And it's like, I don't think unless you have like a really, really like a ton of power to draw an audience for a certain amount of time to get them used to it, that it's going to be able to live past that point. Like yeah. this night, solid company. We all know the people with like that were working with it and it, they're super cool and they had a good idea, but not enough power in the marketing, not enough, just not enough ways to get enough people to use it at once to like make yeah. it stick, I think. I feel like if like ESL or Blast did it with the event and said, hey, we're, we are doing this, not Snipe, but maybe in the background it's Snipe or something, but we're doing this, that that may push a little bit more, but the question is, is like, what's your return on investment? How much do you have to pay to get this to go? And then how much you can actually make from it? And does that even break even? Yeah. Because you're adding, what, 10 more observers? You need 10 more computers per match to observe a given player and then to stream that given player. Like just hardware alone, you need a ton more. That's true. So you got to come up with enough like low lift ways to make the experience better to watch. Yeah, without like making it a production nightmare. I, and yeah. without screwing players over because it's like you can't just chuck OBS on every computer. Every player loses 700 frames ever, like then and you <laughs> yeah. get players bitching about it. Um, yeah, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of issues with it, I think. And, and the idea of being able to direct people to a site that you know they'll enjoy but without forcing them to do it is really, really difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of our friends, Bromobib, has made some awesome Cubism-inspired Counter-Strike posters, which will be up for sale soon. If you're interested, uh, you can just go to readtldr.com slash posters. Again, that's readtldr.com slash posters to sign up to get notified once they're ready to buy. If you're just listening to the podcast and you're not seeing the beautiful images that are going across your screen, trust me when I say that they're really cool and just go sign up. I mean, it doesn't hurt you. It's, it's free to sign up for something. 
You get to look at them. They're really nice. Put them on your wall. They're cool. You should go sign up. It's free. Um, I want to talk about YouTube for a second. Uh, so obviously you watch a lot of demos. Um, is there is there a player that you really like watching demos of because of like something small that they do or something that they do in general? Or is there, is there like one person who's this is the guy to watch a demo of? Not for like you to improve, but just like you enjoy watching their demos. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of flavor of the month for me. There's always somebody new. I'm like, like it was Almanac and then it was like Hunter and then it was like Stown, you know? I really always find that I'm actually attracted to high versatility players because I think that's like one thing that stands out in Counter-Strike over other games that are role-based, for example, where like if you're good at four different roles, you can actually show that in one round. I think that's one of the most attractive things for me personally. So um, I, I love that. Right now, though, I would say the person I love watching demos of most is Twist. I was watching a lot of his recent games and I watched his... I watched a game I actually didn't realize was a terrible match, but it was like the first half he got one kill in. It was like versus Vitality. I think it was versus Vitality on Overpass where Sphinx yeah, simultaneously had this like 30 this kill game so no one noticed game. that Twist only had one kill. And I, I was watching it and I was just thinking the whole time like, God damn, Twist has, might have the best entry pathing of any player I've ever seen before because he knows exactly how far to stand from every wall. He knows how to... Uh, he can methodically pick apart every single default into his pathing with appropriate timing to how fast his teammates want to play. Like he would take connector fast on one round on overpass. Kerrigan would go fast with him. He had different protocols for angles to check. Then he would have one where he was by himself and he would go slow every single time. The only reason he ever lost was like, and this is thinking about the tweet where he said he was exhausted. He just had like a bad spray here and there. But up until the point of shooting, he set up a like an advantaged fight every single round and so all i could think was like wow despite missing these shots he really does have everything ironed out to the point that i think he could wake up feeling his worst and still outshine almost any other entry fagger right now um in terms of his protocols so he's the guy right now for me so I think that's really interesting because so much of how I, even like even good players i think even great players will probably still think like so much of the game is based on your hands and and whether or not you rip heads off on the day. But like, realistically, the game is more about taking advantaged fights than it is about winning disadvantaged fights. And it, it's very, it's it's almost it is more difficult to to clear things in a way that ma that gives you the advantage than it is to learn to aim. Almost. Yeah, I've got one and thing on that. Like, like you can't average one point thirty on a year just winning all your disadvantaged fights. It doesn't yep. make any sense. I. You, no no player is going to say like they felt their best all year and then they and that's why they got a 130 like when simple and Zywu, like they had off days and they still did way better than everyone else and that's because like position like device is the best off like example he's always in the right place versus players who are getting paid like twenty thousand dollars a month like figure out where to stand you know what i mean like <laughs> he's always yeah. making shots like easy and that just so it goes to show you that like positioning is the most important part of counter-strike in my opinion um, and how you get there is a whole other art. It's so easy to explain like where you're supposed to be at the moment, but the reason you can't replicate it is because you can't figure out the decisions that led them to that point. Um, you just see the end result all the time. But the consistency definitely comes from just your movement, your math knowledge, and like where you know to stand. So we had this conversation a couple weeks ago that we're convinced that Twist is a top five player of all time. Um, I like that. And I wanted to know yeah. where, where he stood. Because our, our reasoning was very simple. He's won two Grand Slams. He's yep. been on two of the best teams 
ever. And he's been a good player on two of the best teams ever. He, so it's he can be fill in with any role on on the two of the best teams of all time. He's filled in multiple different roles. He can he can close rounds. As you say he can open them perfectly well. He's been the guy in the big moment. Uh, see on Nuke against Navi, like big biggest moment, biggest round of the game. Like they went to right twist. You're the main man. You're throwing this ball. Like it was as simple as that. Like he is he he's clutch in that sense. He's a great closer around, great opener around. Like he, he is incredibly versatile and has been yeah. on two incredible teams. Like, I can gush about Twist as well. Like, I was like, yeah, <laughs> he, like he, uh, he Grand Slam. He was the best player on the team. The whole like Liquid Grand Slam. Yep. He was the best player on the team. Uh, Phase obviously not not exactly, but in some of their big games and and all of Phase's biggest losses, he was actually one of the only people contributing. Like, unfortunately, this last. Uh, the last Armar was struggling for him, and that right Rio was a struggle for him. But if we go back to like Rio, uh, when they couldn't qualify, he still had his like 90 to 100 every map. Uh, he was extremely solid, and they qualified this this time around, no problem. And then he has the Canada call moment. Yeah, a little bit of problem, but <laughs> they qualified, so yeah. we won't we won't talk about it until we'll the major. Yeah, um, and. I yeah like I just talked about him as a mentor fracker he's not even the guy who takes the most opening duels on the team right he's a, yeah it's just that he, yeah, he the versatility is there so like yeah I looked at a guy I'm like you you could probably learn so much from him he's the guy who could absolutely be undisciplined and still be a solid player and yet seems to have just as much discipline as Robs in every single one of his roles and then the best part for me was like one thing I noticed was no matter how methodical he was about an entry path. If something needed to be sped up, he would cancel his pathing and take the faster route to be there a tenth of a second earlier, not jiggle, and get the trade by a sliver just because he just he was selfless enough to like change it up and confident enough to like put himself at a disadvantage just when he needed to be. So yeah. I I don't know what the top four is right no, now. We, off we top couldn't of my figure head, it so. out either. We okay, we okay. got simple was there, we got twist was there. I think we put forest there. And then I don't think we. I don't remember where it's tough. I, I, I think if you're going all the time, you have to put Olaf in there. But yeah, he probably. It, it was a we, it was a weird day that we made this list because I think we had to yeah. talk ourselves into top ten, and then very quickly we talked ourselves into top five. He's so he's so good, man. Like, <laughs> like he just, doesn't. He has no flaw. Like there's no other player I can think of that's like as flawless as he is. Like everyone else has an issue, and I just I cannot find a flaw with Twist game. I, okay, it doesn't exist. Yeah, like it should be that he's a beta or something, but he's not. <laughs> he's not. Yeah, he's just not a beta. Yeah. He he does everything really well. Whereas everyone else, you know, even like simple, you can talk about the fact that he tilts or you know he, he can be difficult to work with. No. Well, I have to think about, just... about twist. This is from when he was younger, but the reason that he chose gum is because he used to be a sigh on the mic player, and when he used to play, <laughs> yeah, when he used to play uh, pro level, when he started playing pro in NA. A lot of pros didn't like him. Like I remember, Automatic didn't want to play with him early on in TSM, even when they were teammates. And he was apparently had his. He was like a you know emo kind of shutdown style player, and that that was a that was an issue for Twist. But obviously, he's not there anymore. But I think he still chews the gum. But he apparently, he chews the gum so that he wouldn't use his mic as much in game. That's what he he said. I that's that's I mean, but have, being able to recognize that that's a flaw in your own game, and then like your solution is something like that is it's quite like. It takes it actually takes a lot of guts to admit though, like this is something wrong with That is one more upside about Twist, you're right. <laughs> yeah. He's able to come back from his own mistakes and do yeah. better. 
Yeah. No, no, that's like that is a, like people who can recognize their flaws and get over them. You have to give them a lot of credit. I think Simple gets a lot of credit for overcoming how supposedly difficult he was to work with, yeah. and he got a lot of credit. And then you occasionally see it creep back in. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um. So, other side of the same question we asked twenty seven minutes ago. Um. Is there, <laughs> is there a player that you won't watch or that you hate watching for some reason? That you like, that uh, you think is like overrated in the way that like they don't pass the eye test or something like that. So the meme for my channel was that like I actually set out one at one point to do a brokey week, and so I was like, I watched a game, and then I was like, man, a brokey's like crazy. I'm gonna do a whole week on brokey because he was up and was like right. It was like 21, I think, and he had like the most clutches in the first half of the year, and then he was sort of like the hard carry on a team with so many stars on it and i was like okay this guy needs like so much attention right now and i've never done this before so like let's do brokey week like five days of brokey and the more demos i watched the less i liked him i was like (laughs) oh my god what is happening right now and then then i looked at some of his stats and i was like man like so few opening duels yeah like his his impact was actually incredibly low in games they couldn't win it was just like i was like this is crazy the craziest comparison ever but he is actually no different than Shiro. At the time, okay. they're, they're both better players now, but when you looked at their opening kill attempt rate versus exactly, the only difference for people is, in people's perception is that Brokey is like a more high action offer, but the truth always was the action had to come to him first or it yeah. had to be in a clutch, which is the he's exact like, yeah, same Yeah, he's like high round. action in the last 20 seconds <laughs> of the round. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but for some reason, everyone thinks he's Jackie Chan, but he's not. Yeah, like, no, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's incredibly reason. passive. Yeah. He, he um he rem- I just think of him as like a really upmarket skadoodle. <laughs> he oh, he plays is. in the same way. Like the, the- we'll take that actually. <laughs> yeah, it's great, cl- like fantastic clutcher. Which skadoodle yeah. also was a very good clutcher, and but and a good turret orper. And he'll like quietly drop. Oh, the- Brokey's a lot better. He'll like quietly drop twenty five. Like yeah. the observer will never be on him, and he'll have twenty five kills. It- yeah. It's bizarre. Um, but yeah, as you say, he he doesn't take opening jewels and. That's why, like, FaZe at their best win lots of 3v5s because of Brokey, but they're probably also in a lot of 3v5s because Brokey doesn't take opening jewels. It's yeah. it's the dichotomy. Um, I want to talk a little bit about America. North America, specifically. Yeah. Um, actually, and South America. For <laughs> yeah, <laughs> specifically. The I read the first question. Yeah. Of, mm. First team on the list, Furia. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I have a question that I've been wondering for a while. And Elliot and I have tiptoed around answering it, okay? But I feel the need to answer this. When is the point in which Furia has to give up on art? Dude, so I know almost nobody saw the NARMR because it was just like... I Okay, so I, I did. Brand new streams. Okay, so you saw them like completely change their style like entirely? Yeah. They just sort of like they reinvented started being everything. European team. Yeah. Yeah, and I talked to Caserato and he's like, yeah, like... Obviously, I talked to poor Quesarado, who was like, yeah, you know, uh, we do, we are better when we live a little longer, which, you know, what he meant by that was <laughs> wow. like, we're better when art lives a little longer, right? So I was like, yeah. And so the, the thing, the thought is there. I think the only issue for Furia is, you know, they don't want to end up in a situation opposite to where they started, which is they broke into tier one because of their atypical style and because teams couldn't find crap against teams like Furia, so when they played against them, Furia could catch them all. And now yeah. Furia taking themselves more seriously and are becoming the Astralis that they wanted to avoid in the first place. 
But now it's a question of do they have good enough players? I actually think that they they're they're pretty close to saying that they do. I think that they almost have some you know similar formula to you know some of the other top teams. They obviously can't compete. We can't compare like safe to Monacy, but you could compare like Caserato to to um, uh, to Nico right now. I mean, yeah, we, actually, Caserato is doing better. We're very high on the Caserato train here. Yeah, yeah. So we're, I, I think there is actually an argument that maybe you should just see. Maybe they should actually just see if they're at a point that. And also, I think we have all seen Art at one point actually be a good player, right? Like, yeah, no, 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 we absolutely yeah. have. The, we just kind of see him lose confidence, right? The problem was him never being a bad player. The problem that at least I always have with this team is either you had an Art that was the best player on the team, that was the most aggressive human alive, and would get every entry or whatever, and they would win the game because of him being overtly aggressive and the opposite of every outsider's game ever. Whereas you'd see some games where he'd get shut down every single round like that, and then you're playing a 4v5 the entire game. That it was like so flip floppy. Yeah, yeah, that there was no that if you had one of those days where art like wasn't on his game or the other team like was like prepped for art or like had figured it out, that you weren't winning that game. That like even with Case Rado performing at like top five in the world last year, or like with Yuri being insanely good and safe like hitting shots, you you can't win a four v five. There's like one fundamental principle about 2020 that defined the meta for me, and that was the scout IGL style, which was if it was like if Glaive, Kerrigan, Art, or other, I think all these other IGLs actually tried to play a little bit more like Art actually because if Yuri were actually quite good in North America and we're starting to get attention. I think for heroic definitely grabbed elements from the what they saw if that could work. Uh, but what we saw was that people were willing to sacrifice a five v five for enough information. So that the the quintessential example for me was outside smokes on nuke. If you're on CT side, if you flash glaive through smoke on smokes on outside and he saw nothing, you win the round because you don't push hot and you 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 lock down ramp. You rotate one to ramp, two and upper, and your outside player can go see whatever it is and you're safe on all fronts. If you see five people, then you can instantly take over lobby control. You could push ramp. You could do all the, you have the perfect adjustment. So even though you lost a player, you got so much positional compensation that it made up for it. But then that fell out of the meta as the 5v4 just has always been so important. And the first IGL who kind of was in the middle of that scout meta was definitely Kerrigan. He doesn't do that at all anymore. Like he takes himself way more seriously than individual player. We saw in Antwerp, there was that round where you got like the 3K in library on Inferno, like the was last rounds, like round 29. And you're like, this is a Kerrigan like we've never seen before. Like he <laughs> gets one and a half max in 2018, right? And so, and I think that's a difference for FaZe that they, all their five players took themselves seriously. And most teams who survived out of that meta and ended up in the top five all had better IGLs that consistently fragged. And even when Naphany was sort of still doing the aggressive plays, he was actually more successful before. He's yeah. not as successful now. I think that was the thing with Nafni is when uh, Cloud9 at the time Gambit were winning events, it felt like Nafni was one of the hottest prospects in the world because he was putting up like 1.1s going in like really aggressive on both sides of the map as an in-game leader. And you were like, this, this kid's like 19. He's taking on the best teams in the world. He's winning duels that he shouldn't be winning. It was like watching Glaive when Glaive could frag. Yeah. And you were like, like this guy is it. And then now you watch him when those plays don't work, be that because he's been figured out or, you know, whatever the reason is. And you see the, the downside of that style 
as you say, like the meta has changed away from it. People know now that it's coming and it's a lot easier to deal with when you know it's coming. Um, but I, I agree with the point that Furia don't want to become like Astralis or whoever the, the team to be at the moment, Navi or, or Faze, because are you better off being a worse version of a European team or the best version of Furia you can be? And that's a very difficult question right. because we've seen the best version of Furia and they still haven't won anything. Yeah. So maybe it's time to reinvent and, and hope. Because there's, there's no way Chaos Serato isn't good enough to win events. And yeah. you just have to just have to give him the chance to carry you. Yeah. It's just sad that it's... I mean, because they were playing almost as low as like Cloud9, like these last few matches that they played, which is really sad. Which is fine that Cloud9 exists, but I don't want... You know, you don't want every team to play like that. You kind of just want to yeah. see like... You want to see all styles succeed. Like that's like the most fun yeah. for everyone. Um, but but there is some definitely a trend of all the most aggressive riflers in the world losing a lot of confidence. Even Yukinder is not as just sort of like ironclad as he once was. Like he, people know what his play, set plays are, and like the reality is that in every aggressive option, whether it's fucking poker, poker, sports, Counter Strike, they, there's yeah. always going to be a limit to the amount of ways you can innovate, and uh, ultimately the reason that towards the as the game keeps progressing the more optimizations come in that also comes with you know having more than one simple single style that dictates what kind of team you are so like art's got to keep that like himself in his back pocket and then maybe for the the meteor rifle rounds have different tempos but then still have ways in which he can express himself like he normally does and then maybe you have a nice medium right now it feels yep. like just too much unlike them so i gotta get, get what you mean yeah, I, I think I say it's normal in any competitive discipline that uh, the more it evolves, the more defensive it becomes, and then there's there has to be an like an offensive revolution. In in basketball, it became like three point shooting. Um, in football, it's like there's, there's all sorts of ways like people have innovated to get past the defensive style. And I think Furia probably do you say need to reinvent how they break down teams because it's it's become a little bit stale. This is a shame because it's really fun to watch. Mm -hmm. All right, I got one more America question. You should have seen this one coming from a mile away. Evil geniuses, America's team, if you would, um, <laughs> which I don't at all. <laughs> um, so you you tweeted something in which I fully agreed with immediately. I'm going to read it so that way you mm -hmm. can remind yourself. EG would have more fans with a full NA lineup and win just as much. They have offered so much support to NA and somehow become the region's bottleneck at the same time. Mind-blowing. Refresh can't save EG, and EG signing international talent when they have bought access to owning multiple entire NA rosters is embarrassing. This isn't League of Legends. Yeah. Um, I, st I stand by that 100%. Like okay. it, it's, it's like... I, I, I had the revelation at the showdown when EG Black played in place of EG, and then they had yeah. to win over Furia. And I was just like, wow, like, honestly, even if they lost, it, it was like the fact that they did it as five players that you had to pick from only NA players to make made it more impressive that they even came close to beating Fury and then they beat them. And that's why there was this such a high level of jubilation between you know, everyone who was watching how exciting it was. And it was obviously fresh as well, too. If you see them play long enough, eventually we would get bored of EG Black and then want roster changes. But at, since they were all North American, it's at least like, you know, you're, 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 if they achieve something in this 
and they create a gestalt, then it's sort of like way more impressive than if you recruit or pay for help that's not even technically better than the peak NA players of past times. And then you still, it just seems so stupid. Like if you're at least, if you're going to grab someone from Europe that's going to play for you, at least have it be like a blockbuster tier yeah. one player as a organization that is paying for three rosters in total. Like it doesn't really make sense yep. to like go for a budget option. So you're no longer using your feeder system and now you're hamstringing your fan base. And then you're also potentially ruining the careers of like very decent tier two European players. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we, we gave them a lot of credit for, for using EG Black at that event because it was like, it would have been easy to just send like the dregs of the main team, but they actually, no, like you have this roster, use it. You use them and like you're willing to give them a lot more leeway when they lose or, or you know, if they have a bad game, you're like, well, they're the academy team. Like, you're not expecting massive things. So you're actually more willing. Like, when EG's main team loses, all you can think of is, like, how much are they paying Breezy? How yeah. much are they paying Breezy? That's all you can think of when you watch their main team lose. When you watch EG Black lose, you go, but to be fair, like, it's Junior, yeah. it's Hex. Like, you're not expecting massive things. And when they do well, you're like, oh, right, oh. this is what the project is about. Okay. And it's like, and then you, like, I was actually, I'm probably higher on the refresh move than most people because I, I think... Uh, I, I actually think Refresh is quite a decent player, and I think he's a he is an upgrade over what they had. And I think if there's anything North America does lack, it's um, callers, people who are willing to make a, a mid round call and and lead from the front. If he's willing to do that, which it sounds like from from what Vorborg has said, he is, and he he is more of a leader type. I think that's probably the one. Like you're going to have to import somewhere if you want to be good on the main stage. The the issue is I just don't think they necessarily have the talent around that for refresh to be like you have refresh and then you have like you had refresh and then you had Elige like an on form breezy and you had twist or something you'd be like this team's yeah this team's great like this team's gonna fry but when it's him and it's like breezy who isn't on good form and and uh and Wiz who has been can't even name him yeah. This I'm is trying to remember. I was like, yeah, it's like, just like Hex. It. No, he's on the black team. Uh, so Wiz, <laughs> Neilan. Yeah. Neilan, who I think is okay. But again, you've, you've already yeah. imported one leader. Now you've imported a second. It seems strange. And Automatic, who we always forget yeah. is on this team because... Because he doesn't deserve it. <laughs> he's also inconsistent <laughs> along with Breeze. Yeah, he is. He is. Yeah. He's inconsistent, but I think his inconsistencies are probably largely to do with the team's inconsistencies. Because we've seen the, him being consistent on. I just thought that the esports model was supposed to be either you win a lot or you're you're really popular, you know. And then the like, Cloud Nine like double dipped with their 2018 run. Like they were had a really yeah. popular team that like holy shit they won. Yeah. You know? And then it was just wow, like this is the craziest thing that's ever happened. But the path to profitability, I thought it was either like you got people to like 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 fanboy overrate you to the point that like you're making money off merchandise and like views and things like that. Or you have a good enough team that wins, so they like make up a lack of personality that they have because they just like are collecting trophies and everyone just respects the fuck out of them. And it feels like EG have just like done the opposite as hard as they possibly can. <laughs> they cover the least likable team and they don't yeah. win. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. it, it's it's truly a thing of like if they were an NA team, I'd like them so much more. 
It's yeah. like, hey, we have three NA orgs, right? We have Complexity, who have like actually said, fuck it, we're going NA for the most part, right? Because like, you'd be less embarrassed to cheer for them if they lost, you know? Yeah, like, like you have J, you have J2 South African, we've basically adopted, right, at this point. And then you have Halzerk, who's basically American as it is, as... Like yeah, yeah. Ryan's he, he is like American always. Ryan's decided he's American, so at this point he's American, right? And I don't feel bad rooting for complexity because, well, there's three North Americans there plus someone we've adopted and a an opera you've taken out of. I don't even know was Halzer on Dignitas before this. Yeah, Dignitas. Uh, he was, like yeah. it, it was Dignitas and then nothing for a while and then into complexity. Yeah. It's like it's not like Very we're taking. Move. Yeah, no, great opera. But it's not like we're taking a big opera away from Europe, or it's not like we're saying we're going to run our entire team around Simple. We're going to bring Simple, and we're going to run everything around Simple, and Simple's going to be sorry. They didn't do that. They said, we're going to stick with the NA talent we have, and we're going to bring in a little bit of something that we can't find in NA to a great deal, yep. which, to be fair, operas are not a dime a dozen here. Um, we're going to we're yep. going to import that bit that we need. You also, it feels like you EG also... have just gone, we need everything, so let's just <laughs> import everything. Also, here's the other thing. Like, you have ten guys waiting for a chance chance for three move ups, and the reason I say that is because what are the odds that EG are going to send a European back to Europe? Yeah, at, uh, you know what I mean. That's a way more difficult decision than benching a North American player who can just like move down and play for another team. Is Refresh going to go play for EG Black after playing like for EG for six months? Like, no, no, they're they're not going to do that. So we know that's the case, and I think that all the players who are on those the the other rosters know that like they've got basically three players they've got to wait for to like expire for their chance to even get a chance to play for the main team. So like they if, did move if, out Cirque, the, but then they bought in another European in a different role. They so gave Cirque, they gave Cirque like six years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, True, they may though. have moved him out, but it it was a little bit too late. Um, it took so long too. Yeah, I'd love to see Junior move into the first team because it's just like. There's yeah. something about Junior where I just want him to succeed because he was like so roundly mocked. Yeah. I, 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 I'm not, you know, I did it no as well. Like, you know, yeah. like everyone did. And it's like, if he comes back and he's actually like, like he actually performs, you'd be like, it's a, such a good redemption story. I think that would like give EG a lot of favor. But the yeah. other thing with Junior was he was the best Junior he was when he was playing on Furia. Like, yeah. Well, what do you mean? The best Junior before he was? Before Furia, right? You mean no, triumphs? No, no. So st- if you if you actually go and look at stats, right? I know the eye test doesn't support this, but stats do support this, and I I'm a big numbers guy. He had his best ratings when he was playing on Furia. Interesting. He was like, good at the end not, of trials. It's not by a huge slowed. amount. It's like one ten to like one oh six or something think, like that. But he, he also had um. I think the problem like is through on teams and on triumph, right? No. Uh, he, there's there's like one series where he played against Liquid, which. I always, I always reference where he drops like eighty three kills in the best of three, and, it, and he like he absolutely just like shat all over them while he was on uh, triumph. Or when on he was Fury. on triumph, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think it was an online game. I think the problem with when he was on Fury is he had good ratings, but if you look at his LAN ratings, they're not good. And I think that's oh, really where he struggled. Um, but I'd like to see him like, I mean, uh, it'd be cool to see him redeem himself. It can't be worse. We can't go lower than we are currently. Wow. We, we reached we reached the bottom. We've hit rock bottom. Anything yeah. we do now can't be worse. I, I think there's also there's a perception right now that like NA can't pump out good operas. I think that's partly because like OC with having literally simple level stats online in North America got his chance to play on Liquid. 
and on liquid he just looks mid honestly he's like pretty good but like could be better you can see you can see a good player in there i don't know if everyone else does but like no i think the, so like he's got good it, fucking nades he's got good you see him in a clutch sometimes you're like god damn he's fast as fuck like yeah he, he does have it but th- but he's not nearly the player he was online and and my what i i just thought that this is probably because Liquid have never had a successful system with an opera at the front. I I said this like two yeah. weeks ago. I yeah, said yeah. I said Liquid needs to go back to just full rifle and and this this was if we were if not, if OC was to move right in my head we were talking about this the other week. I mean OC he's a good rifle. He's a good rifle. Well, well, it's put Nitro yeah. back on the op and you don't play around the op because yeah. the best Liquid have ever been was when they didn't really have an opera. Like I give I like Nitro a lot. But he was yeah. never the best opera in tier one. No, no, he always seemed no. like a hybrid. Him and Stewie would have a hybrid, like, and yeah. he was fine. But like, yeah. they played around the rifles, and they used the fact that they had a liege and nav and twists on their team to say, it, "Fuck it." I think the that's best. the thing, though, is it? Well, they had a liege, nav, and twists. But they have a yeah, liege, yeah, nav, yeah. and Yakinder now. Yeah, and I'm yeah, not yeah. saying that like a twist is a huge step up over Yakinder. I mean, he's definitely. I personally, I think he's a step up. But like, oh, he's better, yeah. with the rifle core of that, like, you can't tell me that that rifle core isn't just about as good as the other one. Yeah, it like, could be. And if they want to, you do the aggressive. Like, they don't want to have three people be aggressive around. So, like, OC, like, chill for a second. Then maybe, yeah, he doesn't have to buy ops every round. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah if like if Nitro got an op crutch, that would help his stats a lot. He's definitely not got the same like court vision that he used to. And I think that. He does struggle to like just lock down some simple positions sometimes because he just feels like it's just uncomfortable. He's thinking about too much. He's not about confidence, whatever. Put an op in his hands, and all the other players are like ready to win. I think, yeah, maybe that maybe that is the case. The only the only thing I'd be worried about is that like in today's game, I think of the top ten players, it's like eight offers all on tier one teams, and then you have like Jabby or and Nico, yeah. and that's yeah. it. Oh yeah, and it's like but, but if you can't get one of those Toronto. If you can't right. get one of those offers, what option do you have? You've got to innovate a little bit. You got to buy one. <laughs> you got to buy one, yeah. No, no, no. But the, the thing is, though, the thing is, though, that like, this is this is assuming that they can't use OC properly. But if they did, yeah. he would definitely be a better player. I think it's yeah. Oh, oh, a lot I to do with that. Absolutely agreed. Um, I, I had one more question, and then we got to let you get going. So, what's next? And I know that's a big question, but so obviously Counter Strike Two is around the corner, right? And so the esports about to evolve in some degree, right? Because we are going to switch this new game, so people are going to say we're doing stuff here, right? And we're the production continues to become a bigger deal, and more money gets put in the production. Every event looks better than the last event. So mm-hmm. what's the next thing? What's what's the next bit on the horizon that that you think that we're going to see in terms of how we how this esport works? I don't think a lot will change and the reason is i think you want to control for variables and like counter-strike 2 coming out is going to offer the broadcast a lot of stuff that we don't know like the maximum potential of like what what smokes are going to look like smoke shots are going to look like in replays might just be enough to carry a broadcast to the point that it's like don't even fucking have to try anymore boys like the game is so good you know like it, it like i was i got this like scout 4k clip where it was someone shot one bullet through through a smoke at me and then i saw their face for a split second had the round of my life and hit a crazy flick Yo. through the smoke. And I was like, this is the best feeling ever. But like, what if I was Monacy? It would be me every round, you know? <laughs> like, the broadcast is going to be insane. Like, dynamic smokes now make it so that, like, you could have the same product from a production perspective and the broadcast just be better because the game is going to provide so many more impressive shots and moments. 
and it's even more more of a sandbox and more dynamic than it used to be. So I think the innovation element is going to be like, let's see what the game gives us, and then let's see where we can go from there. Um, but that's my easy answer because I just don't I haven't thought about it. <laughs> but for the first year or so, those shots will definitely just carry the broadcast because it's got to be yeah. so new. Everyone's so used to CS:GO, like when they see new shit, they're like this is amazing. So you yeah. sh- you won't have to do anything for a year. Yeah. Well, um, what do you think? What do you have you thought about that at all? So I've been actually working on HUDs recently. Um, so okay. Um, I, I I help run a Counter Strike League in America. You you've actually retweeted us a bunch of times. Oh, Counter Strike Federation. Good. Federation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we I I do a lot of their their media work for them. I've cast as a dumb observing. So we're, I'm making a new HUD right now. And I've been thinking about a lot of this because I think that some HUDs are great and some HUDs are absolutely terrible. <laughs> and I think that it's it's like that kind of bit is how you get someone that doesn't know the game into the game right. is that your ease of seeing things on a HUD is so important because it, it helps you figure out what you want to see and what you need to pay attention to right yeah, if sure. the gun that the person like on the sidebar is fucking huge then you know that that's something important that you need to pay attention to right the scores being big means that's an important bit they like the zeus in your inventory being small says hey that's not that important and i feel like there's gonna be some way in the next year or two that someone's gonna do a hud completely differently and blasted this a little bit with the vertical stuff instead of the, the horizontal players i ask yeah I, I'm iffy, but I could be yes. I could be I could be changed on that. Um okay. I think they actually just need a change of the view model to make the view model look correct mm-hmm. with those under it. So it's not it'll covered, look, yeah. Yeah, so it'll look really stupid if you're looking at it without the HUD on it, but with the HUD on it, it looks normal. Ish. Okay. Um But either way, it's like to me, I think that someone in the next year is gonna switch something completely in the way that we view the game. And maybe this is due to how Counter Strike 2 works, or maybe this is due to how we uh, someone else does something but it's going to change how we think about the viewership of the game because of the way that the hud interacts with the game that's my that's my thought process i could be very off yeah to be honest i for a while i sort of gave up that there could be something like really radical that happens to the hud because like i hadn't seen it and it's not my arena but when i saw like the blast i was like I really don't like a certain element of like the gun sticking out higher than the cards or like a certain like the guns being covered by the health but then there were elements of it that I really liked and like freeing up the sides of your screen that seems like definitely you should something you should absolutely want in Counter-Strike cuz like when you play you want yeah, as you want much the real estate as possible so I was like wow maybe there is like room to really radically change the HUD in a good way and I'm excited to see what that looks like but um I'll leave that to you I guess Logan <laughs> Oh, mine's terrible. I I, I, t- I took a first stab at it yesterday, and it's atrocious. It's a multi. The players in the middle of the screen. <laughs> oh my god! It's just like a line across the middle of the screen. Can't no, see I anything. Thinking, I was thinking about doing something where you basically take up the entire side of the screen, but instead of like these giant pieces, it's just smaller slivers, but it's a lot more height. So you kind of are four by threeing it a little bit. Yeah. But it takes up more yeah. space. It takes up less space overall. I've mapped it out. I don't know how I like it. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's just me than it going looks. in Photoshop with like a standard picture of Counter Strike without a without like the normal HUD on and just like making boxes and hoping it looks good. Yeah, no big fit like a big enough font into like the space. It, that you oh want. my god, yeah. the amount of time I spent yesterday looking for a font for this thing was ridiculous. Right. Yeah, it's right. something harder than it looks. Oh yeah. All right, thank you very much for coming on. Um, huge uh, thank you to Launders. Um, and super fun. we'll be back again next week. 
Bye.